as the worship team was singing that song, Romans 8, 28 came, come to me. Most of you didn't know this verse by heart. For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. In our good times, in our difficult times, in all times, all things work together for the good. Amen? Amen. 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 Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this Bible study that we're fixing to get into as we open your word. Lord, speak to our hearts. Encourage us. Strengthen us, Lord. Let us walk out of here changed. Let us walk out of here with, with full spiritual stomach, just knowing, Lord, that you fed us from your word. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this time now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Paul will give you a Bible. We go verse by verse through the Bible. And so you can follow along with us in our study. Got one over here, Paul. Question for you this morning, just to start, get, get the minds rolling, get the minds thinking, get us thinking about what we're going to be looking at this morning. What do you do when your convictions, the things that you believe, are challenged by the world? When your Christian convictions come face to face and they're, they're confronted with different beliefs of the world, what do you do in those situations? You know, we have, we have two choices as believers. We really have, it really comes down to two choices. Either we stand or we compromise. We, 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 either, we, we stand or we compromise. Our convictions, your convictions, your faith, and what you believe, in, in, in those moments of decision when you're faced with a challenge and your faith is confronted, the decision you make will, will set the course for your faith. It will set the course for your faith. So turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's when our faith is, when our faith is challenged, our faith is defined. You know, it's easy to come to church and talk about Jesus. It's easy for me to get up here and talk about the Lord and talk about the Bible and talk about how much I love the Lord. But how about when I get out into the world and I, and I get out around people that don't feel the same way or have different convictions. Do I maintain those convictions and stand for the truth in those times when, it, when, I, when it's opposed? You know, I've learned a long time ago, it's just a saying. I don't know if I created it or some, if I heard it from somewhere, but it's just always resonated in my heart. And that truth is this. Standing for the truth is more important than life itself. That we stand firm on what we believe. You know, that we have a backbone, that we have some intestinal fortitude, and that we stand firm. The title of my message this morning um, from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is Faith Under Fire. Faith Under Fire. Because that's what's going on in this chapter as we study it. So let's, let's take a look at it. Um, faith Under Fire. The, first off, the believers at Thessalonica, according to verse 4, if you look down at verse 4, the believers are facing persecution and tribulation. That word tribulation means to be pressed from all sides. This young church body of believers that Paul had won to the Lord and they were forming a church there at Thessalonica, they were facing persecution from both sides. From one side, they were facing persecution uh, 
uh, I call it religious persecution. And that was from the Jews. If you go back to Acts chapter 17, Paul goes to Thessalonica. He reasons with the Jews for three consecutive Sundays, trying to explain to them from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. And not only did they not believe it, but they rejected it. And, And those Jews that he tried to win over in those synagogues, they began to persecute those who were turning to the Lord. So much so that they followed Paul down to Berea. And everywhere he went, they followed him to try to discredit him and try to uh, discredit the gospel. So there was religious persecution that the, um, the church at Thessalonica was facing. But there was also cultural, there was cultural, cultural persecution. Back in the first century in the Roman world, there was one Lord in the land. There was one Lord and there was one God in the land. And his name was Caesar. And you dare, don't you dare defy Caesar. So here these Christians are, one to Christ by the Apostle Paul, and their allegiance has changed. Caesar is no longer Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And what they believed and what the world believed, along with the religious world, it was conflicting. There was, there was tension. So let's look at this. We're going to study this verse by verse. We're going to go through this. And sometimes some of the parts in this chapter We'll we'll focus on persecution and affliction and the tribulation. And some of it is just general information that uh, we'll see in in each verse. For example, let's look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have Paul and his two partners. We have the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who got one to the Lord on the road to Damascus. He was the evangelist to the Gentiles. And then you have Silvanus. This is Silas. This is Silas. Silas accompanied the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey. So he was there with Paul when the church was founded at Thessalonica. And then you have Timothy. Timothy was uh, Paul's spiritual son. Paul's spiritual son. You know, and all believers need this in life. You know, they, they need uh, someone that they're raising up in the Lord. They also need another um, brother or sister that, that, that partners with them and that helps them along the way in their journey with the Lord. So, so here you have Paul, Silvanus, Silas, and Timothy. And it says, to the church of the Thessalonians. Now, when you see church in the Bible, the church in the New Testament is not talking about the building. And we all do that. What did, where, where did you go this morning? I went to church. That's what we say. In our culture today, we like to say that uh, this building is the church. But in the New Testament, that's not the case. In the New Testament, the word church, uh, the Greek word is ekklesia. And it means those who are called out. In other words, this building is not the church. You are. The church came into this building between 10 and 10.30 and assembled. We we. Are the church. We are, we, are, we are the body of believers. Now, what constitutes a body of believers? What puts, what puts you into the body of Christ? What, what brings you in to, to this body? To makes, what makes you a part of this ecclesia? Let's continue in the verse. In ver, still in verse 1, he says, In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that not only do you believe in God's existence, but you trust in him. 
You believe in him. You are, look at the word. It says, you are in. You are in God the Father. And not only you are in God the Father, but you're in the Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning, you put your trust in Jesus Christ. He has put his Holy Spirit inside of you, and you are now living. The scriptures talks about it throughout the whole New Testament. You are in Christ Jesus. And not only you're in Christ Jesus, but you're in the Father as well. You can't have one without the other. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father sent God the Son to this world, took on flesh, Jesus of Nazareth. Went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed, suffered and died on the cross, rose again, seated at the right hand of the Father. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that indwells all of us when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is in you. We are in them. And then he says, and, then, and also, talking about how we describe the church, look at verse 2. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As a Christian, as a believer in Christ, you have experienced grace. You have experienced grace from God. Not judgment, but grace. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's his forgiveness. It's his blessing. It's his presence. It's him in our lives. And it's not based on anything you or I did. It's based on what Christ did at the cross. It's a free gift that no man can earn. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. All you can do is put your trust in Christ Jesus. So he says, so, so we have grace, then we have peace. The scripture talks about two types of peace. First, there's peace, there's tranquility of soul, which we do have that in Christ. We have peace in our hearts. We have tranquility of soul. All is well uh, mentally and spiritually because we're right with God. But also the Bible talks about another peace. And that is the peace that we have with God through Jesus Christ. Because at one point, the scripture says, we were enemies of God. We were enemies by our wicked works and the evil in our minds. And the Lord Jesus Christ has made peace between a sinful man and a holy God. He's brought the two together, and we've been forgiven of all of our sin. So he's, he's given us peace in that hostility that was uh, between us and the Lord before we became a Christian. Verses 1 and 2, I also got to point this out, because if you're looking at the whole chapter, verses 1 and 2, uh, a Pharisaical Jew in the first century, if he would have read verses 1 and 2, he would have been infuriated. He would have been infuriated. Take, take a look at it. He says, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what the Apostle Paul is doing with Jesus there? He's making Jesus equal. He's making Jesus equal with God the Father. And this infuriated them. This was the crux of Christian persecution in the first century. And it didn't start here with Paul writing to the Thessalonians church at Thessalonica. It didn't start in the book of Acts. It started way back in the Gospels. One of the reasons that the Pharisees hated Christ was his claim to be equal with the Father. It infuriated them. John 5.18 says, uh, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father making himself equal with God. That was, it infuriated them. If you go back to, I think it's Matthew chapter 26, 
where Jesus is standing before the Sanhedrin and he's standing before the high priest and the high priest gets in his face and he says, you tell us the truth. And Jesus turns to him and he says, one day you will see me seated at the right hand of the Father in glory and coming on the clouds. And the, and the high priest got so upset, he ripped his veil. He, he, he ripped his garments. And he said, no more. Blasphemy. Let's crucify him. That's how people felt. That's how the Pharisees felt about Christ and his claim to being equal with the, uh, being equal with the Father. And Paul doesn't let up. Even here in this letter to Thessalonians, he says, and God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is unequivocally saying that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the second member of the Trinity. He is God. And let's look at the name. Because in this name, that's, that's contrary to what some people believe, that is not his first, middle, and last name. <laughs> that's not his first, middle, and last name. This, is, this, this Lord Jesus Christ, this signifies who Jesus is to you and me. This is, this is a beautiful portrait of God's grace and God's picture of who Jesus is to us. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. The word Lord means kyrios. It means he's the master. It means master. It means sovereign king. Jesus, the name given from the angel to Joseph in Matthew 1.24, says you shall call his name Jesus. It means Jehovah is salvation. Christ means deliverer, Messiah. So Jesus Christ is our According to those definitions, he is our master. He's the, he, we are the slave, he is the master. And we answer to him, we serve him. The name Jesus, he is your salvation. He's your ticket into heaven. He's your ticket to forgiveness of sin. He's the ticket to new life. It's in him. And he's the Christ, he's the deliverer. He moves us from a place of darkness into his glorious light. So beautiful. Mm. Let's continue. Verse 3. We've got 12 verses in this chapter. Verse 3. He says, the apostle says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. Paul is saying here that, that he is bound he is bound in thankfulness. He uses two key phrases in verse 3. He says, we are bound in thankfulness and it is fitting. In other words, there's no other choice. If you see the gospel in all of its truth, in all of its, all of its glorious, awesome, magnificent message that it is, you can't, back, you can't help but to stand back and be amazed and say thank you. That he, is, that, that he forgives you. That he, he gives you a new life. That God is a God of second chances. Even as Christians, after we blow it, what does he say to you? He says, repent. Come back to me. Come back to my throne of grace. And I will restore you. That's the God of grace. That's the God of mercy. And that is the, the God that um, the Apostle Paul is giving thanks to here. Because, but he says in there, specifically relating to the church at Thessalonica, he says, because your faith grows exceedingly and, and you're so they're growing in faith in verse 3 they're growing in love and because of this growth in their faith and love they're able to endure it's because they're a growing christian they're able to take the heat from the oven and make it through 
And that's why it's so important that each and every one of us today in 2019 that we grow in our relationship with Christ. You know, you need to be growing. You need to be growing in your love for the Lord. You need to be growing in your knowledge of the word. That's so important. Why? Because one day your faith might be tested. And what's going to carry you through that testing, what's going to carry you through that, that, uh, that trial, that tribulation, that difficult decision, is how deep your faith is. And if your faith is deep, then you're going to speak the truth in love. And you're going to make it through. If your faith is weak, you might compromise. And secondly, uh, love. We need to be growing in love. How do you grow in love? How do you grow in love? I was thinking about that this week. You know, how do you grow in love? A lot of times, love just happens naturally. Love just happens naturally. You're genuinely, you're just drawn to someone and you love them. But how do you, how do you um, grow in love by the scriptures? Look at Calvary. Look at Calvary. Jesus with his outstretched arms. That is the purest, most divine picture of love in the history of the world is Calvary. That's how we define love. No greater love than he laid down his life for those of us that he loved. That is, that is love. That is pure love. So that's how you grow in love. You grow in love by understanding what your Savior did for you at Calvary. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Verse 4. Verse 4, the scripture says, um, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Paul is thankful for them. Paul is thankful for the church at Thessalonica. He makes that very clear. They're serving as a role model. In other words, their, their, their roots have gone deep and they're standing firm in the truth. And what does it say in verse 4? It says they're displaying patience and faith. And sometimes that's what we need when we're going through difficult times. We need patience. We need to understand that this too will pass. Just buckle down the hatch, hang on, and the storm will pass. But secondly, um, he says in verse 4, which he also said back in verse 3, is faith. Again, faith, how do we, how do we get more faith? What does the scripture say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. What you're doing right now with your Bibles open and in this Bible study, your faith is growing because faith comes by hearing God's holy word. It grows us. It matures us. It puts us on a solid foundation so that we can endure those difficult and challenging times. He says also in verse 4, looking at the very end of verse 4, he says, uh, in all your persecutions and tribulations, that you endure. Persecutions. The, the word persecution, it means to, um, to put to flight, to send away. And that's what they wanted to do with these believers. They wanted to put them to flight. They wanted to send them away. They wanted to get them out of here. That's the same thing they tried to do with the apostle Paul in Israel. You know, Paul ends up in a Roman prison uh, there, there in Rome. But before that, he was in Israel. And the very thing they... they they arrested him and incarcerated him with, the, with the, the plan to stop the gospel. But the very thing that they did in trying to stop the gospel, it took the gospel from Israel 
to Rome. And he says here, persecutions and tribulations. Tribulations means affliction, to, to be pressed from all sides. And as Paul's in that Roman prison in Rome, he endured affliction. He was pressed from all sides, as well as many believers were. But what took them through, according to verses 3 and 4, was their, their growing in faith, their growing in love, their, their patience, and, and them enduring and staying the course. I'd like for you to meet a gentleman by the name of uh, Douglas Albazai. Douglas Albazai. He was, this, okay, this did not happen back in the Bible times, okay? This happened in, um, this ain't way back, this ain't John, I could be talking, I thought about talking about John the Baptist before Herod Antipas when he calls him out for his adultery. And what did it cost Herod Antipas? It cost him his head, right? So I, I started to bring him, but then I found this guy right here. This is D- Douglas Albazai. In 2006, he was, uh, had a church in the city of Mosul, Iraq. He was kidnapped by Islamic terrorists, and they tortured him for 10 days. You can go online and read more about the story. But some of the torture included, they took a ball-peen hammer, and they tapped his forehead. As he's, as he's bound, as he's tied up, they, they tapped his forehead with a ball-peen hammer. Didn't kill him, didn't hurt him, but just got to him psychologically. But they tapped his forehead with a ball-peen hammer. They, they, t- they would take a gun. You know, you didn't know this until afterwards, but they put a, a gun to his head, and they thought he was going to be shot. And he talks about how he heard, click, click, click. Because they were trying to get to him mentally. They were persecuting him, these Islamic terrorists. They did take the ball-peen hammer and knock out his front teeth. They knocked out his, 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 two or three of his front teeth. And, he, and, and, and they asked him, he says, how does that feel? He says, he says, it hurts. He said, well, you've got 20 more, and we've got all night. And they tortured him, all because he was a pastor. All because he was a Christian. It, 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 they did find out afterwards, after he, after he was released, that they had taken that ball-peen hammer and uh, inflicted, some pain in his, uh, inflicted some pain to his spine from tapping on his back. But he was persecuted because of his faith. And this wasn't 2,000 years ago during the Bible. This is in our world. Folks, I'm almost feel unqualified to talk about this because you and I are going to leave church today and we're going to go to, um, we're going to go to the Olive Garden and we're going to go out to these places and, have re- and, and eat lunch together and go to Five Guys. And we live in a society here where persecution is not happening. But what we do need to understand, though, is in our liberty today and in the freedom that we enjoy in the United States of America, Christians around the world, not all of them get that freedom. And many of them are persecuted. And it wasn't just back in Bible times, but it's happening today. What got Pastor Albazi through? A strong faith. A strong faith. You know his faith was tested. A deep commitment. A deep commitment to the Lord. A deep commitment to his Christian convictions. All he had to to do was deny his faith and and, and embrace the Islamic religion. and, And they would have freed him. But, it, but they wouldn't. He wouldn't. But what he got him through was his belief and his trust in the faithfulness of God. And today, he's back in the pulpit, stronger than ever, preaching, teaching, discipling, and mentoring Christians in the Middle East.
That's awesome. That's awesome. That's persecution and tribulation. Verse 5. Let's look at verse 5. This gets deep here. Verse 5 says, which is, manif- which is the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. My friend, verse 5 is in sharp contrast to the man-centered theology today that focuses on personal happiness, uh, fulfillment, and comfort. Friends, you and I are not the center of the Bible. Jesus is. Jesus is the center point. He, he, he's the focal point of the Bible. He's the focal point of Christianity. And what that Bible is in your hand, that Bible that you're looking at is an invitation to you to come and follow him, to, co- to, come, and, to come and follow the Savior, no matter what happens. And what he's saying here, I'm going to look at this, what, what he is saying here in um, actually go back looking at verse 4, is the, perse- well, the persecution and tribulation that we read about in verse 4 is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God in verse 5. God was allowing this tribulation that the church at Thessalonica was experiencing to do what? To refine them. To, to, to refine them. Persecution Difficult times and trials can serve a purpose. They, 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 they purify our faith. They make us look, da- deep, look, look, look deep down into our souls and say, why am I here? What am, what am I here for? What is my purpose? Am I going to stand for the truth? Why am I a Christian? Why, why am I living for him? And you, know, and you should be living for him because he died for you. Not because that you can get things, but because of who he is, because he is the centerpiece. He is the centerpiece. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 9. The apostle Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, the faith is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, ha- whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. The question we, ha- we have to ask is, are, are, and some of you may never experience persecution, you know, God may not have that allotment in life for you. Some of you may, ex- may experience some persecution. Some of you may experience some difficult times like the church at Thessalonica was experiencing. But here's my question to you. Are you prepared to follow Christ no matter what? That's the question. Are you prepared to follow Christ no matter what? Come hell or high water, come blessings, come bad times, are you are, are, are are you buckled down? Do you have your seatbelt on? Do you have your chin strap, strapped? Are you, are you ready to follow him no matter what? If your answer is yes to that question, man, I just want to follow Christ. I just want to follow Jesus. If that, okay, if that is your heart cry, if that is your heart cry, and I hope it is, 
you have biblical faith. You have biblical faith. Because that's what the scripture that's what the scripture describes is that we're going to follow him no matter what. Also, another, another point I wanted to make, trials and tribulations, and we'll, call, and we'll also say difficult times, they give us an opportunity. They give us an opportunity to magnify Jesus. When you don't have it all, <laughs> when, when, when you're not rich and when you're, you're without and things aren't going right in life, and you're a Christian, what do you do in those moments? Do you say God is enough? That I have Jesus. I have Jesus. And because I have Jesus, I have everything. I have everything I need. Trials and tribulations, uh, they can be used to show the world around us how great our God is. They can be used to show how strong his grace is. When the world sees us going through affliction, difficult times, trials, and tribulations, and they see us going, staying the course with Christ, that glorifies God. That brings praise to the Lord Jesus. You, you may not have everything in life. You may have nothing. You may have nothing. But you can say that Christ is enough. That's the heart cry of the New Testament. That's where he wants us. Now I'd like for you to meet another person. Her name is Jahara. And Jahara, along with my wife there, we, my family had the pleasure of meeting her in 2014. Jahara had nothing. She lives on the mountain slopes of a mountain down in Costa Rica. She had uh, been brought out of a life of prostitution, radically saved, brought to the Lord. Um, she had been diagnosed with HIV. The elders laid hands on her, and she was healed. She, she was healed by the Lord. And in 2014, me and my wife and my kids and several other uh, folks from Calvary Chapel Lexington, we went down there, and we went to her home. And she lives on the slope of a mountain. And we went there to install a, um, a septic system. And let me tell you something, folks. She had, she had nothing. She, she had no home, no assets, no nothing. We had to build up this um, sheet metal side of her home that faces the top of the mountain so that when the mudslides come down, they would go around her house and not through her house. Okay? She lived a, she lived a very difficult, challenging life. No air conditioner, no, no, no nothing. But let me tell you something. When you go to meet her, you wouldn't know none of that. She was one of the most joyful people we ever met. Look at that smile. I mean, she was a beautiful lady who was serving the Lord, and she was full of joy. And she didn't have all the bells and whistles. She didn't have all the stuff. But the one thing she had, along with her precious little boy and a couple little chickens running around, is she had Jesus. And that, that was everything to her. This, again, this is one of those situations where you go down to minister to people, and you go down there to help them and, and minister, to the Lord, minister to the Lord to them, but it turns around and it ministers to you. It did to me. Jahara, she had nothing, but she had everything because she had the Lord Jesus Christ. And her difficult situation that she was in, she had the Lord, and she was a joy to be around. Amazing. So, 
Verses 1 through 5 here, the, the, the apostle is talking about persecution and affliction. And now it is as if when we get to verse 6, Paul is now going to turn from looking at the, the situation with the church at Thessalonica and their persecution. Now he's going to look to the future. Because as we saw in our verse-by-verse study through Thessalonians, we talked a lot about the rapture and the day of the Lord. As we get into 2 Thessalonians, and we'll see more next week, we're going to talk about the Antichrist that's described in chapter 2. And um, so here, Paul, the, apostle, the apostle Paul, he's getting prophetic. Well, all scripture is prophetic, but he's getting prophetic in the sense that he's looking to the future. Let's read verses 6 through 10. He says, uh, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are trouble rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. What is Paul talking about here? You were just talking about a church at Thessalonica undergoing persecution and tribulation. And now we're talking about destruction and, and vengeance and people entering rest. What he's talking about here is he's talking about the day of the Lord. And he's talking about the future day of the Lord and, and the um, second coming of Christ. So let's look at some of the phrases here. Back at verse 6, he says, um, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. My friend, future event, the great tribulation, the trouble that Christians will experience in this life will be nothing compared to the great tribulation and to the difficult times that will come upon this earth for those who reject Christ and go into the great tribulation. There, there, it will be a time, if you just go home and read Revelations, Revelations, Revelation chapter 4 through 19, and it's going to be rough. God, and also it says, it is a righteous thing with God to repay. We need to understand that our God, the God of the Bible, the true and living God, he is a righteous God. He is a righteous God, and he will always do what is right. Let there never be any doubt in your mind as to the judgments of the Lord. He will always do what is right. He will always do what is right. To those who seek the Lord, seek eternal life, to seek Christ, he will bless them with eternal life. But for those who seek their flesh, destruction, sinful, rebellion, they will reap what they sow. They will reap what they sow. Then he says in verse 7, and to give you who are troubled rest, with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Another reason here in this verse right here for, for tribulation, for persecution, for difficult times is this. It gives us an eternal perspective on life. It gives us an eternal perspective for life, in, in life. In other words, we long 
for heaven. We long for that day where we will rest. And who is our Sabbath rest? Jesus. When we see him face to face. Again, this may not mean a whole, this, this, there's not a lot of application here for us compared to the believers living in the Middle East and, and Iraq and, and, and in the Middle East where, where Christians are being displaced and being driven from their land because of their faith. But this passage means a lot to them. This means a lot to them. And when they suffer, we suffer. We should pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's one thing I love about Christianity. I can get on a plane, fly to China, Afghanistan. I can go into a church, and guess what? I'm at home. I'm at home because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. All the believers around the world that, that belong to him. Verse 8, he says, um, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. Okay, this is not the rapture. Because at the rapture, we see us meeting the Lord in the air. And the rapture is for salvation. It's for to receive a new body. But this, but this uh, inflaming fire, taking vengeance, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in our study. I think he's talking about here the day of the Lord. He's talking about the day of the Lord, and he's talking about at the end of the great tribulation, we have the second coming of Christ. And at the second coming of Christ, it will not be for salvation. It will be for judgment. It will be for judgment. We have, I'm sure you've heard of the phrase, the battle of Armageddon. Um, the, the great white throne of judgment. You know, the Antichrist will rise to power. And Christ will come back and he will slay him with the breath of his mouth. That's what it's talking about here when it says inflaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. If you study the book of Revelations, I didn't write the verses down, but there's many, there's three or four places in the book of Revelations where it just says they refuse to repent. It says that God will send wave after wave of persecution and affliction to get people to wake up but they will refuse you know the play it'd be like the plagues in Egypt you know I see the plagues in Egypt I see them I see I can see them as judgment but I also see them as grace because God is sending judgment to wake the people up and say repent but their hearts will be hard and there's nothing left but for judgment because we look back at verse 6 God is a righteous God, and God will always do what is right. Then you the great white throne of judgment. I believe it's in Revelation chapter 20. You know, that's, that's not a judgment for the believers, but that's a, a judgment for the unbelievers. That's where those who reject Christ, those who reject his kind offer, free offer of salvation, that's where, where they will stand. And then in verse 9, look at verse 9. It gets dark here, guys. Uh, there's no way to shortcut this. It gets very dark here. Verse 9, he says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. You know, it strikes fear in my heart to hear that phrase, away from the presence of the Lord. In other words, absent of grace, absent of his presence, it's, it's just not there to be shunned away from the presence of the creator of the universe, 
from the one who loves us. And it says into, in, in verse 9, it says to an everlasting destruction. Two words there, one everlasting. That word everlasting means without end. It will never come to an end. It will go on for all eternity. That hurts my brain to think about. I, I can't fathom it. But destruction, destruction. What is he talking about here? He's talking about hell. He's talking about hell that the scripture also calls uh, the lake of fire, where there, uh, Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm never dies. It will be a, it'll be a right thing, though. It will be a righteous thing, though, because that's the penalty for sin. All sin ever created, excuse me, created, all sin that's ever done by mankind, it has two places it can be dealt with, either at the cross or in hell. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we send missionaries out. That's why we evangelize, because that is not the heart of God. The heart of God, the heart of God our Father, and his love and his mercy and his truth is to redeem people and to bring them out and, and to remove that guilt and to remove that condemnation if they'll put their trust in him. And, there's no, and there'll be no condemnation for no matter what you've done, no matter what they've done. He is a great God, a mighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who can forgive, cleanse of any and everything. You know, the, the doctrine of hell is not a popular doctrine to talk about, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And it's one of the reasons why Jesus went to Calvary. It's one of the reasons why Jesus went to Calvary. To save us, listen to me, to, to help, us, help you understand it, because some people say, oh, that's not fair. That's not fair. Well, when you, people think that way, think that way they're, not, they're not thinking about the righteousness of God. They're not thinking about the, the holiness of God and God's righteousness and God's holiness and God's him being perfect. All evil and wrongdoing has to be dealt with. And when Jesus died, he died on the cross to save us from the penalty of our sin. That's what he did. He came on a rescue mission to save us, to give us a new life in this life, but also in the life to come. Amen? Let's finish up verses 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12. He says in verse 11, Therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. I am so thankful for verse 11. I'm so thankful for verse 11. Verse 11 is a beautiful verse that if I was preaching a sermon on just verse 11, I would say this. In the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your affliction, and the trying times that you go through, and the things that you face in life, never, ever, ever doubt the goodness of God. Don't ever doubt the goodness of God. God is good. God is good. It says there, halfway through verse 11, to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness in the work of faith with power. Our faith that comes to us 
also comes with the Holy Spirit and with power. You say, Pastor David, you don't understand. This sin has got me handcuffed. I can't break free. To you, I say, I agree. You can't break free. But the Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit can break us free and set us free. But again, that's a side note at the very end of verse 11. But right there in the middle of verse 11, the meat of that verse, to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. Never doubt the goodness of God. I love that song by Chris Tomlin that we sing. He is a good, good father. And that he is. And he will always be a good, good father. And then in verse 12, this is, this is the heart cry of a believer. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. And you in him according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want people to see, you know, is, is we don't want people to see Paul or David, but we want people to see the Lord. We are the hands and feet to the world. Jesus is not going to come down to this earth again and walk the streets and share his message with the world. That is our job because our goal is to be, for him to be glorified in us, him to allow him through the Holy Spirit to work through us in the world to evangelize, to bring healing, and to bring hope, and to bring this glorious good news of the gospel, okay? There's not going to be a bullhorn that's going to open up the blue sky and everyone repent. (laughs) Put your trust in Christ. That's our job. Let him be glorified in us. Let that be our heart cry. Amen? As, as As we're studying through 2 Thessalonians, um, Paul abruptly breaks, off, breaks it off here in verse 6 of chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians. This portion really, gonna, really goes with uh, the second chapter, which we'll dive into more next week. Where next week we're going to be talking about the Antichrist. The Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition. And he's given three different names. So we're going to be talking about this coming world leader that, 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 that's going to unite the world, but then he's going to break a peace treaty with Israel. He's going to set himself up in the temple. He's going to, the abomination of desolation, they, they call it. But the thing, I believe the reason why scripture is laid out in verses 1 through 12 like it is, talking about the church at Thessalonica, and then Paul fast forwards all the way to the very end, there's still future for us, he is to say this, is to make this point. And that is trials and tribulations and afflictions and difficult times will always be a part of the Christian life. You, you will get heat when you stand for your faith. Not here at church, but out in the world. So let's pray that God grows us. God grows us in our, in our maturity, in our walk with him, so that we can stand firm. So that on that day, when you pass through the fire of affliction or difficulty or trying times, You can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. You took me through it, and I stayed the course, and I stood for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Father, I pray this morning that uh, that our roots will grow deep. Lord, your word has been proclaimed. We've studied it. We've taught it. We've examined it. Now help our, our roots to go deep. Help our faith to grow in you. 
Help our love for you to grow and our love for one another, Lord. Let us walk in that, in truth, walk in grace, and walk in your love. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.